Now tonight I want to continue on speaking about Caleb. I have another message to uh, complete this short series. And tonight I want to think about Caleb, the overcomer in middle life, if you like. And uh, remember last time I did say that uh, the Jews looked upon from 60 to 70 as the beginning of old age. And uh, when Caleb was uh, come to Kedish Barney, he was 40. So really, we could say that that was his youth. And now he's moving on. He's in middle life, if you like. And next time we'll come to think about him as an overcomer in old age. Now, it is one thing to stand steadfast in a moment of crisis. It is something that is completely different to manifest. Uh, a steadfast, a sustained steadfastness in the ordinary routine of life. You probably have discovered this yourself and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Many may face an emergency uh, victoriously and rejoice in the victory given by Christ. However, few live habitually the life of an overcomer, sad to say. That's from the pulpit out. Now, last week we thought about Caleb in young manhood at 40, at Kadesh Barnea, standing steadfast. He shone brightly as an overcomer. What a man, what an example he has set for us in this day and generation in which we live. But now he is compelled, due to the sin of others, to turn away from the land of his heart's desire. He will have to wait many years before taking possession of his promised inheritance. He must wander in the wilderness with the disobedient people for 38 years. Then there's the time of the conquest of the land. The best parts of middle life must be sacrificed due to the sin of these rebels. He will be an old man before he reaches Canaan and will not have long left to enjoy his inheritance. He was an overcomer at Kadesh Barnea in that moment of crisis, but will he continue to be one for the long years spent in the wilderness with such an unbelieving, unspiritual crowd? Can he maintain the spirit of Kadesh Barnea? If he can, then we can as the people of God. Now, Caleb did not die in the wilderness. However, he still had to suffer with the unbelieving nation many, many years during the time of wandering. Decades he suffered. There were certain things he had to overcome during that period of time. Before he could enter the land and lay hold upon his inheritance, Hebron, the place of fellowship. There are three things he had to overcome. And I want to share these three things with you this evening. First of all, he had to overcome disappointment. Maybe some of you have been disappointed this week in things. Maybe you've been disappointed with people. 
They, maybe you've been disappointed with family or the circumstances you found yourself in. Well, going away back to the book of Numbers, I'm sure Caleb was disappointed because as a consequence of the report of the 10 evil spies, faithless spies, the people turned back into the wilderness. We've learned that here from the reading before us tonight in God's words. So they're going back instead of going forward. I trust there's no one here tonight in this time of prayer going back instead of going forward. They certainly were out of Egypt, but as long as they were in the wilderness, they were not in Canaan. At this time, they're walking in the flesh. They're not pleasing God. The Lord uh, and his name has been dishonored by this people. They were a forgetful people, forgetful of all the Lord had done for them in the plagues and delivering them from Egyptian bondage and setting them free, bringing them across the Red Sea in a most amazing fashion, dividing the Red Sea and bringing them across. They were forgetful people. Sometimes we do forget to our own disadvantage. We forget him. Thus Caleb was denied at this time the blessing of taking Hebron. His hopes were dashed. The disappointment was heartbreaking. I'm sure his heart was broken. It was the unbelief and the rebellion of others that robbed him of the joy of claiming his inheritance at this time. Others were to blame. It wasn't his fault. He could have adopted a very resentful kind of spirit as some people do. The people murmured, we're told here on a number of occasions, references are made here to the people murmuring, complaining, grieving God, grieving the Lord. And the Lord heard it, that's what the Bible says. He heard their murmurings against him and he had to pass his judgment upon them. It's a fearful thing to complain and murmur against God because at the end of the day, the Lord will have the last word. Simple as that. He'll have the last word. He will have the last say. Maybe he was tempted to think, well, is this the reward for faithfulness? What I've had, what I've received? I would have been better going with the crowd. He may have been tempted to think that, but we believe that he was a different kind of man because the Bible tells us that he had a different spirit. Every day he saw people die in the wilderness. Every day he saw people miss the blessing that God had promised to the people. Think of what this godly man had to endure. He had to listen to their murmurings and their complainings. He could have developed a bitter spirit he could have allowed himself to be consumed with resentment towards these people. But instead, he overcame disappointment by, yes, you've guessed it, wholly following the Lord. He was taken up with him rather than the people. The people could have got him down. The situation could have got him down. But this man wholly followed the Lord. He had his eyes on the Lord. And that is a good place to keep our eyes at this time keep our eyes focused 
on the Lord. The Bible says he had another spirit, verse 24, a different attitude, a different take on the matter. He had a faith that takes the sting out of disappointments and turns them into his appointments because at the end of the day, he believed that God was in control. Remember the story of Joseph? Joseph said to his brethren in chapter 45, verse 8 of Genesis, when they were reconciled to him, it was not you that sent me, Heather, but God. That was a different attitude. Not revenge, not a spiteful attitude. Uh, he gave God the glory. He said it was God who allowed this to happen to me. And the Lord so sweetened Joseph's spirit that he named his two sons Manasseh, meaning forgetting, and Ephraim, meaning fruitfulness. For God made him forget the disappointments of the past. What disappointments did he have? His brother sold him. The beggar forgot him. Potiphar's wife lied about him. And so on. You know the story well. And the Lord made him fruitful in the land of his affliction. That's why he gave these boys these two names. Because God caused them to forget the past. And God caused him to be fruitful. He had a good attitude. He had a different spirit. Another spirit. He coped well with the situation. A different attitude. And because of that, God richly blessed him and blessed him indeed. Remember, he's in the pit. He's in the prison. Then he's in the palace. He goes down to the very depths, down to, from rags to riches. And God elevates him in due course because he's just like Caleb. He wholly followed the Lord. He had a different attitude, a different approach to life. He knew that his life was in the hands of God and God was working out his own eternal purpose in his life. And when we do that and can do that, life looks different. Doesn't matter what kind of a situation we find ourselves in. Peter, he failed the Lord. And uh, I'm sure if we can use terms like this, it must have disappointed the Lord. I'm sure the Lord had feelings like everybody else. And what did Jesus do? Jesus prayed for him that his faith would not fail. What would happen if we prayed for those who have disappointed us? Somebody has disappointed you. Will you pray for them? Somebody has hurt you. Will you pray for them? Will you ask God to touch their hearts? And may the Lord bless you as you do so. Joseph forgave his brothers. And sometimes when disappointments come, we just sit down uh, and we, we sulk by uh, the life's roadside when we should be up and we'll be helping others to the glory of God. In 1858, the Illinois State uh, sent, uh, using an obscure uh, statute, sent a man called Stephen A. Douglas to the U.S. Senate instead of Abraham Lincoln. And although Lincoln had won the popular vote uh, at that particular time. It was a foolish decision they made. And when a sympathetic friend approached Lincoln and asked him how he felt, this is what he said. 
Like a boy who stumped his toe, I am too big to cry and too badly hurt to laugh. And sometimes we're too badly hurt, we can't laugh. We maybe cry. But I want to tell you something. There's a remedy for that. Pray for those people that hurt you and caused your tears. And God will bless them. And in so doing, to be like Christ. When he prayed for Peter when he failed. And when Joseph prayed for his brothers who treated him in abysmal fashion. And I suppose, bring it right up to date, this is true biblical Christianity. This is what it's all about. When Moses died, it was Joshua, not Caleb, who was chosen by God to become the leader. But in this great man's heart, there was neither jealously towards Joshua, nor resentment against God. He loyally and willingly served in the inferior office. It takes a good man to do that. A good man to stand back and say, yes, you're the man. So how do you overcome disappointments? What about Moses? Moses, the Lord said, you're not going to enter into the promised land. How did he feel that day? What about Jesus there in Nazareth where he grew up? They wanted to kill him. What about Jeremiah when his own townsmen said, we're going to kill you? How did they feel? Disappointed. But we know the outcome in these other stories. Secondly, he had to come overcome delay. Uh, when you look at these verses, uh, chapter 14, verses 7 and 10 and other places, he had to wait 45 years before he received the fulfillment of the promise. 45 years is a long time. Longer than some of you have been living on the earth. He had to wait that length of time. He was 40 at Kadesh Barnea. There were 38 years of wandering in the wilderness. And then there were seven years of conquest. And that tallies up to 45 plus the 40, that's 85. When he took the mountain. As I said, the other Tuesday night, uh, people at 85 were on the pension maybe for 20 years at that time and ready to go into a nursing home. He's out ready to take this mountain at 85. How do you wait 45 years? And someone has said, I'm not sure who it really was, but I read this little quotation, God's disappointments are his appointments. God's delays are not denials. Some of you have been praying for years for that loved one that you cherish and care for. You've been praying about a situation that has existed for maybe the most part of your Christian life. And there seems to be no light on the horizon. The heavens seem to be as brass and as hard. And you're waiting and waiting and waiting. Well, the Bible says they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. God gave Abraham a promise, a promise that his wife Sarah would have a baby and he would be, it would be a son. How do you wait 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled? 25 years. She was 90, he was 100 when the child was born. 25 long years waiting. What about Joseph? Well, we've already mentioned him as a teenager, maybe 17, 18 years of age. And 13 years later, he's brought out of the, the, the prison and brought into the palace. 13 years. And the pit and the prison lied about a godly young man living for God, serving God. 
He's got to overcome delay in his experience. Moses, uh, he lost those long years of obscurity there, uh, away there in the desert, 40 years. His, his life is divided into three forties, Egypt, and then the backside of the desert, and then uh, as a shepherd looking after the people of God. And all those other 80 years were preparation for the 40 years he dealt with God's people. And the, the sheep were easier to deal with than the people. They had many problems. He may not have had the same amount of problems being a regular shepherd, but he certainly had his hands full looking after Israel, the, the people of God. But God took all that time to prepare him for this great task. God's delays are not denials. God has a purpose in the delays. Uh, the, the delays. I think even in the context of this congregation, oh, we're still patiently waiting. I hope. And God's man. Has the delay been profitable? Was it necessary? There's no doubt about it. God's ways are past finding out. I hope we've learnt even during these past uh, two and a half years about the ways of God. And sometimes there's a delay in waiting, but when the time comes, God will move and God can move very swiftly in the days to come. What about Hannah? Her empty home. Her empty womb as well. Her husband's other wife, she's having children. She's waiting. She's praying. She's a good woman. The Lord knows her heart. The Lord knows her secret cries and tears and fears and prayers. He knows all about her. Still nothing happening. Nothing's happening. She thinks. Unknown to her, God is at work. And then the time comes, she discovers, I'm going to become a mother. Amen. The time came when she realized, I'm going to become a mother. God has kept his promise. God has honored his word. I'm going to have a son. What a son he was. It was worth a wait, was it not? Think about the great work that Samuel did in Israel. We still talk about him. Children in the Sunday school hear all about Samuel from their early days. What about David, the lad caring for the father's sheep? He takes on a bear and a lion, a young teenager. God is using him, anointed of, of Samuel to become king, but he doesn't become king for years. There's the years of delay on the stony hillside, on the hillsides of, of Bethlehem and the cave of Adullam, driven there by the insane jealousy of Saul. He fled to the, the Philistines. They were more friendly to him than his own people. Can you imagine that? He's going to the Philistines and they give him a city there. Zigleg. He wrote, I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors and a fear to mine acquaintance. They did see me without, they that, they that did see me with fled from me, I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am a broken vessel. That's what he prayed, broken vessel. It's a, a wonderful study sometime to think about the broken things in the Bible. Broken things. I was looking at that today in the study, and I was just wondering if there's a potential of a, a study there. The broken things in the Bible. The delay seemed intolerable, but it was indispensable. 
in preparing David for his long career to be king, the office that he held for many years. We could talk about Elijah, the same thing. There at Kareth, the brook dries up, he's waiting. He goes to Zarephath, he has to wait there again. He's waiting on the Lord. Think about the isolation at the brook. All by himself there, maybe for a year. Then in the home of a, a, a widow and her son. Loneliness, the isolation. How do they feel at times? What's God's will for me? What will I do? When will this come to an end? When will he move me to pray that the rain would come? When will I get out of this situation that I'm in? What was God's purpose for me in this whole thing? God had everything under control. We have to wait on the Lord. We have to overcome delayed times in our experience. When Saul of uh, Tarsus was converted uh, in Damascus, there he, he straightly preached Christ. But then the Lord removed him for a time. It could be maybe a couple of years to the Arabian desert. Why did he do that? Because Paul was to become an eminent preacher and foremost missionary of the gospel and they needed to learn the book. And that's why God took him away for that period of time. And God, by revelation, revealed the truth of the word to him there in isolation, away from the gaze of anybody else. He didn't get this theology from men. He got it from God. And then... From Arabia, he goes to Antioch. And there, it's the missionary center of the New Testament. And there are people being sent out. Missionaries are sent out here. He goes to Athens. He goes to Corinth. He comes to the uh, arena there in Ephesus. And then eventually to Rome. But he, he got his knowledge. He got his education. Not in the Whitfield College of the Bible. But in the desert in Arabia. Under God. God revealed the truth to him. And he had to wait. I can testify to the need to wait on the Lord. So he had to overcome disappointments. He had to overcome delay. And then finally, he had to overcome doubt all through that period. Can you imagine 45 years, a lifetime in our day, a lifetime. And maybe he was tempted to doubt that he would ever possess uh, that mount that God had promised to him at the end of his only man but yet at the same time he wholly followed the Lord and was given grace to overcome this how was he able to maintain this spiritual life surrounded by so much carnality and unbelief God had given to him the promise of a wonderful inheritance and that's where his heart was all through those 45 years. God said, I'm going to give you Hebron fellowship. And for all those 45 years, the thing that possessed his mind was Hebron. Hebron is mine. The place of fellowship with God is mine. Abraham knew all about Hebron. His wife Sarah is buried there. Hebron, that same area, brought back many memories. He's a perfect illustration of Colossians 3. Seek those things which are above. Set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth. So while the people were looking around them for gratification, he was a man, he had a vision of Hebron, the inheritance promised to him by God. And all through those 45 years, he overcame 
because he wholly followed the Lord. He fully followed the Lord and he overcame all the doubts that may have come his way. God had given him a promise and he had that promise before him every morning and every evening, every night. Hebron, Hebron, Hebron. One taste of the fruits of Canaan spoiled his appetite for the onions, the leeks, and the garlic of Egypt. Remember the people uh, there at the very start. Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. And they talked about the onions and the garlic and everything else. But here was a man who tasted the fruits of Canaan. And he says that there's no comparison. I'm not going to be satisfied with the things of Egypt. I want what's in Canaan. I want what's in Hebron. I want to get to Hebron. Amen. He wanted to get there. Oh, he, he overcame doubt and all the fears that came because before him was a new land with a new life. They looked at their problems. He looked at the promises. Joseph had said, God will bring you out of this land into the land which you swear to Abraham. Some of you have read books maybe by G. Campbell Morgan. He had already enjoyed some success as a preacher by the age he was 19 years of age. But then he was attacked by doubts about the Bible. You know how it happened? He discovered some of the writings of various uh, scientists and agnostics. And these writings disturbed him. Men like uh, Darwin and Thomas Huxley and Herbert Spencer. Uh, and he read their books and they listened to their debates. He became more and more perplexed. Now, what did they do? What did he decide to do? He cancelled all his preaching engagements, put all the books in the cupboard, locked the door, hallelujah. Should have had a bonfire the way they did there in the book of Acts. Maybe he did, I don't know for sure. Didn't read that. And he went to a bookstore and bought a new Bible. And he said to himself, I am no longer sure that this is what my father claims it to be, the word of God. But of this I am sure, if it be the word of God, and if I come to it with an unprejudiced and open mind, it will bring assurance to my soul of itself. So are you having doubts? Are you depressed? Are you down in Lodibar, place of no pasture, bypath meadow? And the doubts are just coming into your heart and you're fearful and you're unsure of yourself anymore. Oh, I want to tell you something. Get alone with this book. Take time to get alone with this book. And Morgan said the result of doing what he did, that the Bible found me. Yes, the Bible found me. And that new assurance in 1883 gave him the motivation of his preaching and teaching ministry. And he devoted himself to the study and preaching of God's word. The word of God made the difference. It dispelled the doubts that he had. So we're talking about this man who overcame in middle years, middle life. He had to overcome disappointments. Is this a word for you? He had to overcome delays. Maybe this is relevant to you. God knows. God's here tonight. He's listening to your thoughts now. He's listening to the response from your heart as he knew these people so he knows you right now. 
Maybe it's doubts. You're questioning the Bible. You're questioning your salvation. You're questioning the, why this is happening to me. Why do I have to go through this? Well, Caleb could have said, why do I have to go through this? 45 years. The difference, he wholly followed the Lord. He followed the Lord with all of his heart, all of his mind, and all of his soul. And next time, God willing, we'll come to think about the old man who took that mountain, the mountain that kept him going for 45 years. But let us fix our thoughts on another mountain tonight, Mount Calvary. Let's just focus upon the one who did the work there. He's doing the work for us now at God's right hand. The one who can come to lift you up tonight and make you a blessing. There's room at the cross tonight. And as we come to pray, let's pray that God will visit us. I want to encourage as many as possible again to pray tonight. I have appealed before. You have responded well. We're praying for a minister. Keep that in your thoughts at home, in church, prayer meeting times, wherever you may be, driving in the car. God bless Corian. Send us a man. Let's pray for prayer. I want to ask our brother, Mr. McCool, please, to lead us in prayer. Then as many as possible, feel free to join in. But please keep our prayer short as usual and keep the meeting alive. Amen. God bless you, Tommy.